Paranoid and paranoid that everyone is coming to get me. I put a hole in my body and you know, I'm an... That is one of my favorite 90s one-hit wonder songs. I just heard it on the radio this morning. I think that might be the best 90s one-hit wonder. Or Possum Kingdom by the Toadies. I'm not gonna lie. I won't be a gentleman. Do you want to die? Hey folks, how's it going? Welcome to the Brian Francis Podcast. It is Monday, July 23rd, 2018. I have a Starbucks coffee, and that's really all, all that I can report on that. There's nothing, there's not no news beyond that uh, Starbucks coffee. Uh, other things going on, welcome and thanks for joining me. Last week I discussed my need to uh, cut back on hanging out a lot. I said, you know, I'm trying to look for non-alcohol based events. Well, that did not help in any way. In fact, I think I received more invites than I ever have to hang out. They said that podcast was funny about you not drinking. So anyway... We're going out tonight, and uh, it's just nobody even took me seriously. So uh, thank you, I guess, for for killing me. Um, and that's it. That's a show. That was the only thing I thought of for this week. Um, so it was a lot. It's like, uh, I will hang out, but, uh, I did see that millennials are actually suffering from liver disease now that this hangout culture folks, they've never seen, uh, livers crapping out in people in their twenties until this, this year, these past couple of years. So the hanging out, man, it's like, I will hang at some point, but I'm not accepting applications for friendships at this time. Your application is impressive, but unfortunately we're not accepting applications right now. Now, folks, I come to you from a place of total mortification based on something I said in last week's podcast, total horror at a mistake that I made pertaining to the song by Gordon Lightfoot. I called his haunting, beautiful song, Sundown, I erroneously referred to it as Someday. Cringeworthy, I know. Mortified. A couple people pointed that out. And I don't know what's worse, uh, being a fan of Gordon Lightfoot or pretending to be a fan of Gordon Lightfoot. Is that even more pathetic to be a Lightfoot poser? Because I think that's what I am. Sun down. My goodness. I wanted to uh, just crawl into a hole. I'm watching the Vietnam documentary by Ken Burns, and I saw these monks in Saigon protesting, I believe, the uh, occupation of the United States Army. Now, I could be wrong because this, this documentary is dense, but I think I have the sides right. They were protesting uh, the war. And by going into a town square and these monks would set themselves on fire. And that's exactly what I wanted to do after butchering the song title of the Gordon Lightfoot hit. Just go into a town square, pour 
gasoline on me and just <laughs> that's how bad I felt not making light of suicide folks but my goodness could you could you imagine that feeling so passionately about a cause that you just go up in flames about it and these monks I mean and they wouldn't scream or anything they would just remain in this meditative trance as they burned my goodness, that's dedication. What, the Eagles didn't get someone in, in the sixth round of the draft? <laughs> I feel like I would do this act over something very insignificant. Self-immodulation, I believe is the term, for suicide by setting oneself on fire. The during the Eagles game, the refs overturned an interception due to instant replay, and it turns out the Eagles don't have the, the didn't get the ball. <laughs> Man, if you're familiar with the band Rage Against the Machine, I just made this connection. The cover of their first album is, in fact, one of these burning monks in Saigon. I never realized that until watching this Ken Burns Vietnam documentary. That is something, man. That is something to do. Learning a lot from this documentary. I realized I, I knew practically nothing about Vietnam. First of all, France started this whole mess by trying to occupy Nam in like 1890 or something which un, uh, destabilized the country and uh, caused it to just, you know, spiral out of control. I didn't know that. Thanks a lot, France. Thanks a lot. It's a great documentary, though. I'm four episodes in, and at 130 minutes a pop, it's a commitment. It's my summer commitment. I don't watch a lot of shows, and I feel like I disappoint people in my lack of TV viewing. Because they'll always be you watching Shameless? No, no, I haven't. I didn't. I didn't see that one. You, well, you, you know the guy. You know the guy from Breaking Bad. Well, no, I. I, I mean, I do know. I always answer like, yeah, I know what that show's about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I know the premise. But uh, I'm always disappointing people. And then I finally sit down and watch something, and it's the wrong show. I'm like, ah, oh, this Vietnam doc, and we're like, no, we're not watching that. Nobody's watching that. Shows, shows, stuff to find the time, find the commitment to show it up. So, let's get a little Starbucks. The thing is, with setting yourself on fire, you can only do it once, right? But there would be so many worthy opportunities to do it. If only you could do it multiple times. You got to pick, pick your cause right. Woman did this a number of years ago in the '90s to protest. I think Bill Clinton and some um, some policies of his, and she killed herself. This was at the University of Penn, right in the center of the campus there. And my thought was, boy, you you haven't seen anything yet if you're killing yourself in the mid-90s. 
things get even wackier. You should have saved that that act. So you never know when when's the right time to do it. Did I ever want to kill myself? Maybe. Maybe the year 2013, I sustained a concussion, folks, that I could not shake. I had a headache for roughly eight months, and it was brutal. The thought at that point, and I didn't think I set myself on fire, but I thought, hmm, this would be nice to make this headache go away. Finally, it did go away. Go away. Due to chiropractic work. Went to a chiropractor. Set me right. First time I've ever been to one. Uh, and uh, all is good again in the world. But I have empathy for you headache folks out there. Thankfully, I haven't had them since. But I feel you. I feel you. And there was a moment where I thought, but no more. Life is good again. Talk to my mom. She told me that at Pathmark, there's a sale on ground meat. So... She also said there's a buy one, get one free uh, soda at the Acme. When you're from Philly, you put that extra syllable in Acme. The Acme, I love that, this, this advice from parents, because it's so, it's so real. And we live in this fictitious Facebook land, but they're just there giving you practical advice. Ground meat is on sale. Thank you. It's like... I don't think the older generation can envision how busy our lives are that we don't go from one supermarket to the next bargain hunting. Or maybe we should. Maybe our lives are busy with nonsense. Maybe we should go to the butcher for our meat. Go to Pathmark to get that two-for-one soda deal. I encourage you to text a friend of yours. It's just... No context, just text them and say, so does buy one, get one free at Acme. And nothing. Don't respond. Don't, don't say it was just a joke. Just text a friend of yours and see what happens. The news. I'm giving you the news you can use here. Saw Jaws last week with the kitties. Now, obviously, I've seen Jaws a number of times, but this was at the little theater in Doylestown, and it was the first time my children had seen Jaws, and it was a lot of fun. They were physically lifting their feet at times, lifting their feet as the shark attacked. That's a good movie, one that can actually make you move in your seat. Jaws is like the perfect movie. And I've taught some film classes, so I'm a little bit knowledgeable in these regards, folks. So if you have any questions about movies, Jaws is the perfect one. Because it's man against nature, right? But it's also, you know, man against nature, man versus shark. It's also man against man. Isn't Roy Schneider? I forget how you say his name. Isn't the main character also grappling with the issue that he hates water? That he hates this small town that he came from? That he hates this backward sort of hick that he perceives, this hick 
uh, lifestyle. So it's man against man. He's kind of it's man against himself. He's trying to conquer his own fears. It's man against bureaucracy, right? That mayor wants to keep the beaches open. Doesn't want to lose the Fourth of July cash grab. Man against bureaucracy. It's man against it's science versus primal, right? The old sea captain versus the young marine biologist. There's so many perfect little setups there. I mean that and when when Quinn, this is the old sea captain, enters, I'll catch you, shock. Gonna need three hundred dollars and twenty cases of brandy, and I'll get you fish. When he entered the scene, my daughter, my oldest daughter, turned to me and said, "Dad, that guy reminds me of you." And I, I got choked up. I almost cried. I think it was the nicest compliment anyone has ever given me that I reminded her of the grizzled, drunken. Quinn, when a shark bites you, the eyes roll back. They're dead like a doll's eyes. I do. I do love Quinn. He first enters the scene. They're sitting, wondering how they're going to catch this shark. And he's in the back of this town meeting. And you hear this high-pitched screech. And you realize as the camera pulls back that he is dragging his nails across the chalkboard. And he says some, you know, just timeless, mystical dialogue. I think that's how I'd like to enter my classroom this year. I know we don't even have a chalkboard, but I will get one wheeled in just for for this event as a prop. Welcome to English class. Here's what's going to happen. Student get in the cage. Cage get in the water. Shark in the water. What is he talking about? Do we have to write essays? Do we need to know this? Get in the water. I think that's, I'm going to go really nautical this upcoming school year. I kept talking like him the whole weekend. Man. Brian, can you take the trash out? Trash go in the can. Can go on the curb. Truck pick up the can. Imagine what a nightmare it would be living with me. You get 30 minutes of a podcast. My immediate family is subjected to 24 hours a day podcasting, Brian. What an absolute nightmare. The impressions, the endless bad jokes. Boy sits in front of computer. Boy talks in computer. It was something, though. My wife commented how in Jaws she was taken aback by how old the parents were. This 10-year-old is eaten by Jaws, the shark, and the mom runs to the beach and said, Bobby, Bobby. And this mom was like 86 years old. It's like, wait, are you the mom, the grandmom? It's, 
I feel like in today's cinema, you know, a mother is an actress that is roughly, you know, 20 years old. There's no beautiful people in Jaws. All movies today feature beautiful people. The actors in Jaws are just excellent at their craft. They didn't get the roles because they won some beauty contest. Isn't that the problem with entertainment today? We have supermodels posing as singers. Supermodels posing as actors and actresses. You won the role because the way you look, not because of what you can do. The best bands are ugly. I got a whiff of this in Greece. The lack of beauty on television. And what I mean by that is I watched a Greek sitcom and it featured regular looking people. And you could tell the inherent lack of makeup as well. These people, and I didn't know what was going on, but it appeared to be a comedy, a light sitcom. Uh, And these people, like there was sweat on the brow They looked a little blotchy. You don't see that in the United States. And I love the fact that the one character just mid-conversation lit a cigarette. And clearly the plot wasn't about getting this character to quit smoking or he likes to smoke or he doesn't. It wasn't even addressed. Probably the actor just felt like having a cigarette. He probably didn't even run this by the director. Just, you know, hey. I know we're shooting a scene right now, but let me catch a butt. The unbeautiful people of European television is something. You notice it, and then you notice how sterile our own TV viewing is by comparison. You don't get smoking on TV shows anymore. Maybe the gong show, maybe Chuck Barris or those 70s shows where they have those long, skinny microphones. That's another thing I may do this upcoming school year on day one. I may either be Quinn, welcome to class, or I may dress completely 1970s and have a long, skinny microphone when students enter my room. How's it going? You can have a seat anywhere. Just talk into the microphone. Would you mind just talking to it? They're like, why does he have a microphone? What is happening? Why is it so skinny? Why is he smoking? Um, Can I talk to my counselor? I feel like this is not my classroom. Is it too soon to request a change of course? You know what else changed the course? That shock we've been looking for. Dead like a doll's eyes. And that day when the Indianapolis went down, thousand men went in the water. Two days later, 300 came out. The sharks got the rest. Ah. But movies, screenplays. This whole podcast was born out of a failed screenplay. I tried to write a book and a screenplay on suburbia, more or less. And uh, it was going somewhere, but it wasn't going 
somewhere quickly. So I thought, why not break apart all the ideas I had for this book and talk about them instead? So this is uh, a podcast that born out of the ashes of a screenplay, not unlike a phoenix. There are some interesting screenplay terms and ideas that I like. One is a MacGuffin, as I learned a couple years ago, a MacGuffin when you're writing a movie. And that is an object that motivates every character, but when analyzed, this object really doesn't mean anything at all. Example, Pulp Fiction. Every character in that movie is seeking that briefcase. And yet, ultimately, it's never revealed what's in that briefcase or why it's so important. This briefcase is an inanimate object that causes the characters to move, to act, to reveal their personalities. But if analyzed, the briefcase means nothing. I learned a new screenplay term this week, fridging, fridging. The plot to Deadpool 2, a film critic accused the screenwriter to using the movie trope fridging, which is a negative term. So I did a little research. Fridging means it was taken from a 1994 comic book story, The Green Lantern, in which the Green Lantern's girlfriend was locked in a refrigerator. And the sole motivation of the Green Lantern was to free or save his girlfriend. Now, critics have said that this movie trope is sexist in nature because it merely revolves around a man saving a woman. And this woman fails to develop in any way throughout the story. Her character remains completely stagnant and is just helpless in the beginning of the movie, helpless in the middle of the movie, and helpless in its conclusion. So, a scathing attack of Deadpool 2 by a critic accusing the plot of fridging. So there you go. That's your movie terms for the week. Can you think of any? Stories that feature McGufflins or fridging. <sighs> Did a little clothes shopping. I'm in between a medium and a large. The medium, little snug. Again, trying to still work off those gyros, folks. The large, I mean, come on. Come on. I'm right in between. It's very frustrating. Could someone please... Please make a size that is in between medium and large because that's exactly what I need. My wife has these keyless entry keys for her car. I hate that. I just give me the keys and I will open the door and put the key in the ignition and start the car. That makes sense to me. But it's a very vague situation with these keys. Do you have the keys? They're in the purse. They're in your purse. So is the car open? Of course it's open because the purse is within 20 
speed of the car. What does that mean? Does do? Can I have the keys here? Just hold my purse. No, I'm not holding your purse. It's emasculating enough that I can't even figure out how to use these keyless entry things. It's just it's just illogical. For me, I need very concrete things. Hold the key, open the door, go. These keyless entry things, it frazzles me. Went to uh, occasionally go to the bar in New Hope called John and Peter's where I see Dean Ween and friends. Ween was a band that with significant popularity in the mid to late 90s with a number of hits and they still have a big following and I try to catch them in concert when I can and I am blessed to live so close to the hometown of Ween and New Hope even though they are a national touring act Dean Ween comes back most Wednesday nights and holds an open jam session which I periodically catch always fun to hang out with I'll say it. Dean is probably one of my heroes. I haven't met many heroes of mine, but Dean is one of them. Hadn't, didn't have the chance to ever meet Kurt Vonnegut before he died, nor John Updike, my two writerly heroes. But Dean Ween, I meet and continue to meet. Every couple of weeks, I'll come check him out. I never know quite what to say to Dean. We spoke a couple weeks ago, and he said... He recommended Bob Dylan's Christian albums. He said, I know everyone trashes them, but you check out some of those albums like Planet Waves and these these late 70s, early 80s albums that everyone ignored. But Dean said, trust me, there are some gems in there. So Of course, I write down everything Dean tells me. I said, sure, I'll do that. I try not to be a fanboy. So I try not to just be like, hey, big fan, big fan, you know. I try to offer Dean something that maybe nobody has said to him before because I'm sure he's heard a lot from a lot of fanboys. So I'll say a couple months ago that Ween was playing uh, a concert and they decided to do an acoustic set, which is atypical. They're usually an electric amplified band, but they went acoustic. And I said, hey, Dean, um, I thought of this on the ride there. I was like, what am I going to say to Dean if I talk to him? So uh, sure enough, at the set break, uh, he was hanging out, and we were kind of in the same area, uh, which was a, an accident I planned for. And I said, hey, Dean, um, what do you prefer more, playing electric or acoustic? And Dean said, I don't care. So I thought that was a pretty cool exchange <laughs> with, with one of my heroes. Sometimes he'll be talking to people and I'll be like in the outside of the circle and I'll be like, uh, yeah, I know. And everyone in the circle will turn around and be like, how long was this guy standing here? But, oh, you know, and they'll kind of begrudgingly open the circle. Yeah, I know. Good point, Dean. I'm like, oh, all right. Have you met your heroes? Do you, do you play cool? Or do you, are you frazzled? I'm probably the, the biggest person I've ever met uh, was Crackhead Bob from the Howard Stern Show. That was, uh, that was significant. I think I played it cool there as well. Um, 
What else? What else? Looks like it's going to rain for nine straight days. That's not good. Just dropped the Katie's off at sleepaway camp for two weeks. Hopefully, the weather is not as dire as it sounds. What to do with oneself when one's children are gone? You start to remember who you were before kids. So we shall see. We shall see. But the kids, I mean, they're, we, we try to give this these opportunities to them because living in Bucks County, as beautiful as it is and as fantastic as the schools are, you may know there's a good amount of materialism here, a good amount of materialism that motivates people and causes jealousy, comparisons, and all the usual stuff that happens with teenagers and preteens and tweens. So we are constantly trying to showcase to our children that life is more than the acquisition of things. Third Monday of every month, we go feed the homeless, uh, which I hope that this showcases that point. And, you know, it does, and it works. And then my girls begin to forget, and you kind of seemingly have to reinforce this message over and over again. One time will not do it. We feed them with the Quakers as we are dabbling Quakers ourselves. And uh, that's the sort of religion I believe in. Project-based religion. Doing stuff. Doing stuff. You want to make the world a better place. Don't just chant. Light yourself on fire. No. I'm mixing up my notes here. No, don't light yourself on fire. Quaker meetings are quite bizarre. Have you ever attended one before? Imagine this, a log cabin-esque structure, very plain, as simplicity is one of the major philosophies in Quakerism. No altar, no center, just benches in a rectangular pattern, in a rectangular shaped room with nothing in the middle. People come and sit in silence, and you might sit in silence for an entire hour, and then you get up and leave. Fascinating, right? Talk about simplicity. Now, that's rare in which the entire hour would be complete silence, but I have witnessed this. It has happened. More often than not, somebody will be motivated to speak. And anyone can speak. There are no leaders. There's no figurehead. There's no center. Nobody is above or more important than anyone else. Anyone can be the leader at any time. You may stand up after 15 minutes of silence and say, my dog doesn't need much in life and I could learn a lot of lessons from him. And then you would sit down and then maybe... We sit in silence for another 40 minutes and think about your dog. Or maybe this comment motivates you to stand up and continue this thread of thought. My dog once killed a man. Now, that, see, that would not continue the thread of thought. Maybe the thread would be 
simplicity or something like that. It is quite bizarre and I think a very natural way to express oneself uh, you could imagine the narcissist in me reveling at the opportunity to preach to a crowd. Although, I don't outwear my welcome. I'll occasionally pipe in. But I don't issue forth 30-minute podcast-type material at Quaker Maiden. Although, maybe I should. Maybe I should. It's religion as jazz. Here's a riff. Is somebody going to pick it up? Will somebody pick up the thread or let it drop? Um, so that's why we go. We try to de-emphasize the materialism that is so prevalent in Bucks County. Because it's difficult to unwire the wiring of that way of life. I only own one thing that's really cool. Just one thing. And I got it about a year ago. It is a wooden watch. A wooden watch. And folks, there's not a day that goes by that somebody doesn't compliment me on my wooden watch. It is so cool so gnarly that it makes me want to abandon Quakerism and acquire more wooden watches. It has an inscription on the inside from my wife, which reads, I love you more every second, Megan. Get it? Second? It's a play on words, folks. It's a pun because it's a watch. Get it? Now, the most, it's a beautiful message. And the most pathetic thing was, though, something occurred. My wife purchased this online, but something failed midway through the transaction. And the order was kicked back, and she was not around her computer. So, what ultimately happened was I had to reorder my own watch for me, my own gift. And the pathetic part being, I had to write that inscription for myself. I love you more every second. Megan, I typed. Sad. Sad. Speaking of time, we're just about out of it. Thanks for listening. Questions, comments, complaints. Brian Francis podcast at outlook.com. Have a wonderful week. Hopefully the rains don't wash us all away. Bye-bye.